Well, what a week. Vacation Bible School, I don't, I don't know if you could hear uh, what she said there at the end, but uh, the, the pie in the face business was if they could raise enough money for missions, you know, they would get to do that. We had something like 220 students, uh, children, average attendance, and over 100 volunteers. What an amazing week. And the pie in the face for the pastor, we need to talk about that. You know, because I'm big target, it's the preacher, and so there were several times throughout the week, like, hey kids, you know what would be fun with all these dodgeballs? Let's all go after Pastor Tom, you know, and so forth. And this is what I told all those kids. I looked at him and I said, I will remember all of this when I baptize you. <laughs> and I may just hold you under a little bit longer than you. <laughs> And speaking of uh, several, uh, let me give you some programming notes. Speaking of baptisms, praise the Lord, uh, the water in our baptistry is because at the, at the beginning of the 930 service, we're going to baptize four new believers in Jesus Christ. And so praise God. And so you'll get to see a video of that next Sunday, God willing. And uh, that's why I won't be in the lobby, in the point immediately following the service. I'll uh, skip out, let Chuck do the benediction, and I'll go ahead and get uh, prepared for that baptism. Uh, The second programming note has to do with uh, our text today. We're in this series, Aliens and Strangers. It is a series on the book of 1 Peter, and Aliens and Strangers language comes from Peter's language in this book. I am skipping chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. And so we're going to pick up, we'll pick up like, say, verse 11 of chapter 2 and move on. And the reason for that is not because these are not worthy verses of sermons, but because I recently preached on them. You may remember in the Every Member series, I did Every Member a Priest and Every Member an Alien, and I covered those. And so if you weren't here for those and you want to get 1 Peter chapter 2, those verses, I recommend go back and check out every member a priest, every member an alien. And for those that are, um, I won't get to meet you in the point this afternoon, but for those who uh, maybe you're new, maybe you're considering membership at Coleman First Baptist Church, let me remind you, today, today at 4 o'clock p.m., we have a class, I teach it, we offer it every other month. So if you miss this one, it won't be for a while. Uh, get this one if you can. This is called Discover First, and it's for anyone considering membership at Coleman First Baptist. So if you have questions about what does membership look like, what does it entail, you have questions about baptism, maybe you are a member but you're curious what you've signed up for, uh, whatever, any of those reasons, come join us in the lobby today in the point right out here four o'clock p.m. it's 90 minutes we have refreshments we have an intermission there's child care and we want to make sure everybody uh, uh, takes advantage of that one last programming note before we get to first Peter chapter 2 and that is uh, we've got folks on mission this week continue to pray for them uh, we have a team in Central Asia that will get back on Thursday pastor Scott's part of that team and we have a team in New York City ministering with some of my uh, former colleagues there and so let's pray for them they left yesterday they've arrived safely and so pastor bj and then i'm going to be on the road preaching pray for me i'll be preaching in texas as well as a scott dawson event so pastor bj will be preaching june 20 20th and pastor scott will be preaching june 27th and i told them they don't have to do first peter we can we can i can come back to that all right are you there first peter chapter 2 let's pick it up in verse 11 
Remember, he's writing to encourage these Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor. In verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Here's where we get that aliens and strangers language. Sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, the theme of this whole letter, remember, is he's telling the people, be holy. That word means set apart. Why? Well, here in verse 12, so that you can win over the skeptical. There are going to be people who are highly resistant to the gospel, but because of your lives, you're going to win over the skeptical. You're going to win them over. And one day, these, what he calls Gentiles, that's Peter thinking back to his his old days, uh, that was shorthand for pagans, lost people, people that didn't know the love of God. Well, they're going to be saved. They're going to glorify God on the day of visitation. Why? Because of your witness. Because your life is going to be the evidence for Jesus Christ that cannot be easily dismissed. But my question is, how different are Christians from the rest of the world? Or should I say it this way? Let me say it this way. How or like... In what ways are Christians to be different? Haven't you heard sermons like this? I have. And I have felt very guilty. Because the preacher will say, Christian, there should be an obvious difference in you. Everybody should know you are a Christian. Immediately, it should be obvious. And I'm always like, well, I, I guess I see what you're saying. But like, in what ways are we supposed to be different? Because there are... There are many ways in which we look like our lost neighbors, and that's not necessarily sinful or wrong. I mean, I mean, if, how am I supposed to stand out? And it gets worse, you know, when you, you, the, the analogies just pile on and pile on. Last week, I asked you point blank, maybe you were here, and I want you to be very clear on this point. If you are a Christian, does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? And you said and you are correct. Yes, you need to be absolutely clear on that point. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So I'm, I know this, I'm reading a book by Francis Chan, and he says, if suddenly you were told one morning, you, at the snap of fingers, you have just been imbued with the power to play basketball like an NBA superstar. Yeah. And so you go out for your normal lunchtime basketball pickup game, and you have been imbued with the power. Suddenly there's power in you to play basketball, an NBA superstar. And you go out, and you see no difference. He said, wouldn't you wonder, is something wrong here? I thought I had the power. Shouldn't there be an obvious difference? And I'm reading this going, oh, I feel so convicted because I, I, my life doesn't look that different from people around me. You know, and, and I feel more, I get what he's saying. I get what he's saying. But I want to point out there's many ways which you cannot tell a Christian apart from a non-Christian. And this is going to shock you. And that's okay. Now stay with me. Here's what I mean. What makes someone uniquely Christian? After all, we look alike, right? I mean, Christians don't have a particular dress code with certain exceptions, but in our current culture, and certainly in Peter's day, it's not like you could tell Christians by what they wear. 
I don't know if you've thought about that, but there are religions that are clearly delineated by what they wear. And so just based on dress, if we had a group of people and we say, okay, who are Christians and who are not? I, I don't think you could tell based on what we wear. I mean, maybe with few exceptions, don't we work the same jobs? We, we, we have families, lost people have families, saved people have families. Don't we want the best for our families? Lost people want the best for their families. Saved people want the best for their families. So, so far, there's, we, we all pay taxes. Thought I'd get an amen there. Okay. We go to the same schools, right? We abide by the same laws governing our cities and our states and our countries. We watch the same sports. Now, I know you may think that only lost people cheer for the other college team and the state, and I'll let you determine who that is. But we watch the same sport. We use the same currency. Don't we all use Bitcoin? <laughs> we eat the same foods. I know there's jokes about Baptists and potluck, but that's quantity. We eat the same food, right? Somebody made the, I never thought about it. Somebody made the point this week at VBS that uh, some volunteers made this wonderful spread for the workers on break. And they said uh, there was just enough. By Friday, there was just enough. She said it was like the, like the five loaves of bread and two fish. And it occurred to me, and it never dawned on me, that maybe that's why the original disciples uh, were not uh, Baptists, because there were 12 baskets left over. <laughs> and had it been us, there would have been a cobbler and some good stuff. You know, some religions are, in fact, delineated by uh, the foods they eat, Right? Kosher, non-kosher, halal, or otherwise. Well, Christians aren't delineated by this way. We use similar technology. We rejoice at the same things. We love it when life goes well. We love it when the boss notices us and rewards us for our good work. We get disappointed by the same things. We're all hurt when we feel left out, especially in a place like Coleman, Alabama, which is a tends to be a homogenous culture. There are many ways in which, I'm sorry, I always want to say to that preacher, there should be an obvious difference. I'm saying, well, there's many ways where it's not obvious. And yet, and yet we're told in Scripture there does need to be an obvious difference. But how? I think some people grow so frustrated by this question of how. What makes somebody uniquely Christian? What is supposed to be different about a holy Christian life that really does make you different from your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus? Some people get so frustrated by this question that I think they answer it this way. Well, if we can't figure out how we're supposed to be holy, let's just be odd. And that's where you get into what I call Jesus junk. Anybody know Jesus junk? These are the kitschy products that are uh, often uh, uh, harmless, often a little cheesy. You can Google these, uh, just a couple of my favorites. One is, and you can't make this up, and I'm, I'm sorry if you use these, I don't want to offend you, but come on. One is gospel golf balls. Yeah, 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 that's how we're different as Christians. We use gospel golf balls. And each ball has written on it, Psalm 31, verse 3, free me from the trap that is set before me. <laughs> Come on. Is this okay? My, uh, my favorite was a Jesus toaster that prints a picture of Jesus on each slice and says on the toaster, give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> so cringy, but harmless. Where it's not harmless, some Christians decide they're going to look very different from the world 
uh, because I guess they figure if you can't be righteous, at least be self-righteous. And uh, here I'm thinking several years ago, you remember Westboro Baptist out in the Midwest that kept making the news because they would picket everything. And they would uh, uh, always come out against oh, what they were against and the, the rage and the anger on their faces as they would protest everything. And they thought, well, maybe that's how we're supposed to be different. Or maybe we're supposed to use a different language. You know, instead of saying, uh, how you doing fine, we say I'm blessed and highly favored. Or we learn some code words. How are we supposed to recognize a child of the Most High? Surely Jesus didn't mean they will know you are Christians by your merchandise. No, what is the distinguishing mark that would set his people apart? It's not odd merchandise or a secret code language, and it's certainly not the hatred of a picket. It's something I think that Peter remembered his Lord saying in Luke chapter 6. Look at these verses. See if you recognize these. Jesus, uh, Luke records Jesus' sermon, and I think Peter never forgot it. Here's what Jesus said. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Here it is. This is what makes you uniquely Christian. You ready? Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Do you see that? Do you see that? If you only love the people that love you, you're just like everybody else. There's no difference. What credit is that to you? And if, verse 33, you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. In other words, that is how we're going to know who your Heavenly Father is. That's how you're going to be marked as a child of the Most High. Why? Because that's how God is. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So be merciful just as your Father is merciful. There it is, church. There it is. That will take supernatural power. Remember the example being imbued with the superstar power? That's gonna take the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Praying for a political candidate that you voted for is easy. Praying for one you didn't vote for takes grace. Loving a boss who is good and gracious to you is easy. And if you love your boss because he's good and gracious, You're going to look just like the world. Even sinners do that. Everybody does that. But loving one that is unmerciful, maybe even wicked, that would require supernatural power. Serving a spouse who loves God and loves you is easy. But serving a spouse who perhaps is an unbeliever, that's going to take grace. That's going to mark you as a child of the Most High. Following authority, when authority is asking you to do exactly what you want to do anyway, is easy. Obeying the speed limit when you're early anyway is easy. Obeying the speed limit when you're late takes grace. See, that's how we're marked. 
When the people who drive you crazy or they're crooked in their dealings or a politician that you didn't vote for or a boss who wrongs you or a spouse who refuses to take part in your faith, what then? That's where the Holy Spirit has room to shine. It's in those moments that the big difference opens up. It's not in gospel golf balls. It's in how we love, how we react and to whom we love and to whom we react. Does that make sense? There are simply, I'll say it again, there's a lot of times in which Christians and non-Christians are just going to look alike, fine. But there's going to be times when you shine like a star because of just how much you deviate from the typical response. And Peter is telling his people, you found this new freedom in Christ and you're going to be mistreated and you've got a couple choices on how to react. And how you react to being mistreated, that is going to be the obvious difference that is going to win people to Christ. And it's so practical. He gives five places where Christians might find themselves facing a choice, and they are so relevant for us today. You can just take them and put them, drop them right here in 2021. Here they are. And, it, and we'll go through them quickly. It will require nothing. Remember, it will require nothing at all to react just like the world. But you will need grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to react differently. Here they are. You ready? The first one. As a citizen. As a citizen. Let's talk. Verse 13. First, as citizens, <clears throat> be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What does all this mean? To those who would accuse the early Christians of dis destroying the empire, of, of being bad for civil society, he says, silence all that foolishness by showing what a good citizen you are. In 2021, it's the same thing. Silence all those critics and haters who would say Christians are somehow destroying the fabric of America. How do you do it? By your good and faithful service as a citizen, day in, day out. Live, he says in verse 16, as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Martin Luther commented on this verse, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, servant of none, and a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. We use our freedom to serve. And impossibly, it seems, he drives this home with verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You heard him correctly. Honor the emperor. Do you know who the emperor was that Peter was telling these Christians to honor? It was Nero. Nero, the guy who uh, uh, burns Rome down and plays the fiddle while Rome is burning and blames it on the Christians so that he can torture Christians. That's what starts the persecution, throwing Christians into the, uh, into the Colosseum. He would dip Christians in wax and light them on fire to burn them alive so that they could be candles throughout the Roman Empire. Honor the emperor. Don't just honor the emperor if you happen, happen to like him. And, the, and he mentions the governor. That would have been Pontius Pilate, who authorized Christ's crucifixion. Yeah, honor. Who vote, It doesn't matter if you voted for Nero. If you honor the emperor you like, there's nothing specifically Christian in that. But to serve someone who in no way you think deserves your respect, I'm telling you, that takes supernatural love. I love, too, how he's subtly pointing out, look, look, look. Who, who do you fear and who do you honor? 
He says, you fear God. You don't fear the emperor. He is not, contrary to what the Roman emperor said. See, they said they were God. He is not God. So you, you honor him, and I love this. Why do you honor the emperor? Because what's the first part of that verse say? Because you honor everybody. Isn't that amazing? The most powerful person in Rome, it turns out, is not Nero, it's God. So honor Nero because you honor everybody, but fear God. You are to follow authority, unless, of course, you're ordered to disobey God. Does that make sense? That's a, a, a sort of a Christian response to civil government in a nutshell. We honor everybody, but we fear God. And so we're happy to abide by the laws of this land, unless uh, there comes a day where the laws of the land run contrary to the laws of God, and decide for yourself whether we must obey God or man. Obviously God. We fear God. We honor you know, uh, this gets real, I think, for our church every Wednesday night. That's a simple example, but it touches my heart. And I'm so pleased by this. And I want to encourage you. You may or may not know our church gathers for intercessory prayer every Wednesday night. Did you know that? We have a supper together around 5, and we gather together to pray. That's just a plug for Wednesday night intercessory prayer. There's lots of Bible studies, lots of things going on. But we'll always have in the fellowship hall that intercessory prayer meeting. I try to uh, 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 be there every Wednesday and, and join our people in prayer. Here's a copy of our prayer list. This is what we pray through. We have about 80 names on here. Oh, 80. Okay, exactly 80 this week. It changes, but it, give or take. Um, we have some names of some sick and shut in and those that can't be here. We pray for them. Some short-term needs we go through here. Uh, the military, we pray for our missionaries, we pray for members, uh, family members of our church that are in the military. And then here, uh, line number 72, each, each of these gets prayed for by name. We break up into groups and pray for that every single week. And um, line 72, we pray, we have a section of uh, government leaders, and on line 72, we pray for those who hold office, including the highest offices in our land. Now, I didn't start this tradition, it was here when I got here. Um, I got here in 2017, and line 72 we would pray by name for President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence. And currently we pray by name for President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Why do I share that? Because I think there are many people in the country who are skeptical of the church for this reason. They say the church is too embedded in politics. But they have to reckon with this. Here you have a God-fearing church in Coleman, Alabama that will pray for the president and the vice president regardless of if we voted for him, whether we like him, whether we don't like him. Why? Because we honor the emperor, but we fear God. Now, what is a lost world going to say to that? Oh, you only pray for the people you like. You only pray for the people you voted for. Well, I don't know, and I don't care who you voted for, but here we are praying for them. Why? Because I think we understand something. You know, there's an old story about uh, Lord Baron John Reith. He's the, uh, uh, Baron Reith was the founder of the BBC. It's kind of the forerunner of what we have, uh, PBS, right? British Broadcasting Company and the, the, the corporation. And the BBC, uh, uh, 1920-something, it gets started. John, uh, Baron Reith was six, six feet, six inches tall. He was from Scotland, and apparently he was very intimidating. And he starts the thing in the 1920s, and he was known for his religious programming. A lot of Christian programming on the BBC. And uh, years go by, and there was great debate about the direction the BBC should go. And uh, in, in the 1930s, there's this legendary story of one particularly heated uh, uh, big board meeting, and trustees were there, and everyone was gathered in a large room. And this young man says, we need to move away 
from religious broadcasting. People don't want the Christian broadcasting anymore. Listen, the church, he says, the church is on its way out and this secular thinking is on its way in. They said, Baron Reith, John Reith stands up all six feet, six inches of him. And in his Scottish accent says, young man, sit down. And he says only this. The church will stand at the grave of the BBC. And he's right. And the church will stand and stood at the grave of Nero. And the church stood at the grave of the fall of the Roman Empire. And the church is still there. The church triumphant is eternal. And, 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 and the church will stand at the grave of every political party, every man-made institution, every organization. It is the church that's eternal. And it will outlast all this stuff. So I don't care who gets elected. We're going to pray for him. Why? Because I fear God. Honor the emperor. I think that uh, you do not need the Holy Spirit's power to resent the officials you didn't vote for. That's what everybody does. But you want to shine like a star? Hmm? You want to stand out? You want to talk about obvious difference? Not in gospel golf balls. It's a person who's charitable to the people on the other side politically. You do that, you will be a rare bird indeed. And you'll be holy citizens. Next, he turns his attention to servants. Look at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is a difficult passage for us in 2021. I don't think it would have been at all shocking to Peter's readers, many of whom were slaves. When we think of servanthood, when we think of slavery, we naturally think of the horrors of pre-Civil War slavery in this country. No form of slavery is acceptable we need to understand that slavery in the first century was radically different than antebellum U.S. First century slaves were not unskilled laborers. They would have been managers and stewards, many with great responsibility. The Roman slave population would have included doctors, teachers, writers, accountants, agents, bailiffs, overseers, secretaries, and sea captains. In particular, this word we have here in this passage, verse 18, refers to household employees. Uh, slavery was not linked to race in any way. Some became slaves to avoid homelessness. Many free men would become slaves. Slaves, most importantly, were paid and could eventually earn enough to purchase their freedom. So we need a stronger word than servant, but weaker than slave, and there's no such English word, and so we just translate servants or slaves. I say all this to say, don't get me wrong, evil people throughout history have twisted this scripture to incorrectly justify the modern slave trade. And uh, uh, evil people will always twist Scripture to their own nefarious ends. But for, for our points today, how do you relate this to 2021? Well, a household servant would have, follow me now, submit to authority in hopes of earning enough money to one day be free from that authority. Let me say that again. An ancient household servant would have been a worker who submitted to a boss in hopes of one day saving up enough money to be free from that boss. One more time. Somebody working their whole life to earn enough money that they no longer have to work and they can peace out and go to Gulf Shores. Is everybody, everybody with me here? Uh, how different is this from modern corporate America? Why are you working so hard? Well, I'm, I want to be my own boss. I want to retire. Well, what's this passage saying to you? 
It's saying it takes no grace whatsoever to follow a gracious, loving boss. But if your boss is mean or crooked, the word there for crooked is a great Greek word, scolios. We get the word scoliosis, right? Bent. Talk about uh, maybe the moral perversity or they steal credit for what you did or they lie. It takes no grace whatsoever to hate that person. That's going to make you look like everybody else. That's what everybody does. But to say, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to mail it in. I'm going to bide my time. That takes no grace. But to endure it without scorn, without returning hatred for hatred, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. We have a supernatural model. You say, how do I do that? Well, you've got a supernatural model, supernatural power. Look at the next verses. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Think about it. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and by his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Remember Christ's example, he's saying, and live in his power. Does that mean we're supposed to be a doormat? No. The difference is that Christians are not dominated by always needing their rights. Citizens, servants, workers, wives. What about wives with unbelieving husbands? There are certainly wives with unbelieving husbands in 2021. It was no different then. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see respectful and pure conduct. Remember, in this context, remember, in the Roman Empire, the, the, the wives were pretty much without power. And so imagine this woman comes to faith, she gets saved, but not her husband. He's saying the worldly response is to brag about your new freedom in Christ and be like, you know what? I'm now free in Christ, so I have washed my last dish. Thank you very much. And begin flaunting your newfound authority and your freedom in Christ. He says, or that would take no power. But he says, Peter says, serve him. Show what the love of Christ looks like so that, and what a beautiful line, he may be one without a word. In other words, your actions are enough that he sees that change in your life. We used to tell, uh, we used to tell uh, college students that would go on summer mission trips, we'd say, isn't it something you'll go on the summer mission trip and you'll preach to all these people, but when you come home, the hardest people to reach in the whole world, if you live with people, say your mom or your dad or step-parents or whoever, who are not believers, they don't have faith. And we always told them the same thing. If you'll go, you'll have this amazing summer mission experience. God will move in your life. Here's what you do. When you go home every day, clean the toilets. That was our advice. Clean the, clean the toilets. Because they don't want to hear a bunch of talk about how good God is. They don't want to see all your Christian t-shirts. But when Mr. Scrubbing Bubbles is beautifully clean and the bathroom is sparkling without a word, they're going to say, okay, this person knows something about service. Something's happened in their heart, and they'll be ready to hear what? He throws in, incidentally, practical advice. I think it's stunning, and I think this is an incredible word for today. He advises these wives, verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of, uh, of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Now, this is not a prohibition against 
uh, having braided hair. I hope if you have your hair braided today, you don't feel shame and go, the, uh, no, 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 no. And, and gold, it's not an altogether prohibition. Otherwise, he'd be prohibiting clothing. You see that? So that's not it. But he means, verse 4, this. But don't let that be the focus. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Ah, It's so simple, so applicable. Wives, don't let the world and the celebrities or the mirror tell you who you are. Let the word of God tell you who you are with an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Incredible. And husbands. Husbands. Next he turns to husbands, which is different because the husbands do have power in the Roman society. And so he tells them what to do with that power. They've got all the cultural power. They've got the physical strength, the cultural strength. And so he says, here's how to use that strength. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman woman as the weaker vessel, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter calls wives the weaker vessel to remind his first century husbands, okay, so you're physically stronger, maybe you're certainly culturally stronger. It would take no grace whatsoever to misuse that power, to abuse that power. That's what everybody does. But to honor someone, when all the guys in your culture in the Roman Empire said that a woman was barely more than property, when that's your culture, to go against that and to honor and respect, and what's that? Treat as a co-heir with you of the grace of life? That takes supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Your joint heirs in the sight of God. And finally, all of us. Look at verse 8 and 9. Finally, all of you. So we had citizens, servants, wives, husbands, and now all Christians. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. You may not be a citizen who opposes someone who holds office or an employee with a crooked boss. You may not be a wife with an unbelieving husband, but all of you will face persecution. And there is nothing uniquely Christian about hating those who hate you. He's saying there's no credit in that. Everybody does that. And there's nothing uniquely Christian about loving only those who love you. You get no credit for that. The world will not be moved by that. But the one thing the world cannot ignore, the thing they cannot be helped, moved by, is Christians who love their enemies. Christians who do good to those who hate who pray for those who despitefully use and persecute. Chuck's gonna come and lead us in a time of response, a time of invitation, and I wanna use this time to do something. Uh, uh, I I wanna do the sermon. So I want you to pray for an enemy. And maybe you say, I don't have any enemies. Well then pray for someone you oppose. Spend this time to pray, let's pray. Pray for a, 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 a governing official that you opposed and you didn't vote for. Pray for uh, uh, that neighbor whose dog keeps barking in the middle of the night. It takes no grace whatsoever to go bark at him or something, you know. What takes grace would be to pray for him. I will, I will remember where I was. And this is what I mean. I think this is what Peter means. You want to look different than the world? Don't just love the people who love you. Love these people that mistreat you. That takes, that, you can't do that on your own. The Holy, does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? Yes. 
then that's what it means to treat these. All right, so one last thing. I was in um, Westbury, Long Island, and uh, found myself out there in the suburbs in, in Long Island years and years ago, uh, outside of New York City, and uh, met a guy. He was uh, uh, maybe 40, 50 years old. I don't, I don't know. And he was telling me his story a little bit. And uh, offhandedly, I forget how it came up, but he was a cyclist into biking. And he's biking through Eisenhower Park, which is a really big kind of like a Long Island's version of Central Park. He's in Eisenhower Park. Going along, cruising along. I don't know how fast bikes go. 20, 30 miles an hour or something. And somebody had had a birthday party at Eisenhower Park and left a um, balloon. You know, they'd stretch something across the path on fishing line. So here he comes through at 30 miles an hour and catches that fishing line right in the mouth. Yeah, I know, I, so it's a gruesome story, I know. So he's, he's ripped open, he has multiple surgeries, whatever. To which, he had all these attorneys, right? You know where this is going. He had, because it was negligence on the part of the park. He had everybody telling him, you're about to own Eisenhower Park. You're about to be a millionaire. Now he's all healed up and it's a happy ending. I'll never forget. He refused to sue. He was entitled to a great settlement and he refused it. And I asked him why and he refused it on the grounds of 1 Peter. He said, because a Christian might be entitled to these rights, but everybody would sue, right? Everybody would lawyer up and buddy, they'd go to war and they'd get all they could get. But he told the people, I mean, he's meeting with park officials and believe me, they're lawyered up and they're scared to death. And he says, I'm not gonna sue, why? And he told them why. And he said, it's because I follow a savior. Let me tell you about him. And a lot worse than a fishing line happened to him. He got nailed to a cross. He didn't do anything wrong. If there's ever anybody who demanded their rights, who deserved their rights, it was the spotless, sinless Lamb of God hanging on a cross. And I'm for him. I'm for that guy. I'm a representative of that guy. And that's why I'm not suing. That's why I'm not gonna go after every dime that I'm entitled to, because I follow that guy. You can't tell me that those officials in Nassau County, whatever they heard on the news about Christians, whatever they thought about Christians, I guarantee they never forgot that. That's a Christian who looked different and refused to do what the world did. Why? Because he didn't just treat those who treated him well. He blessed those who cursed. He loved those that he could have taken to the cleaners. And in this way, he showed himself to be a child of the Most High. So let's, let's, can we do that in some limited way? Can we just close our eyes and bow our heads and go to God and cry out for our enemies, for those who have mistreated? God, grant us grace. We don't, we don't need anything special to hate people who hate us. Oh, but God, we need grace to be a follower of you, to forgive those and to do good to those who hurt and to pray for those who we don't agree with. So God, grant us that, that we may be found to be truly children of the Most High. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. During the invitation, I'll be down here to receive any who come. You can come and we can talk about how to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. You can come and uh, rededicate your life. You can kneel at the altar, whatever it is. But I think one of the best things while this song is in our hearts and as Chuck leads us would be just to spend time meditating on the great love of God and pouring that love and prayer out on our enemies and on those who persecute.
Let's stand to our feet. Chucky, lead us.